Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. Welcome everybody to episode number 105 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. Our main topic discussion this week is Pathogen, episode 4 of the second season of Stargate Universe. Good episode. I wasn't sure what to expect from this one, but we definitely have a lot to talk about. There were lots of storylines in this one. There was kind of an A, a B, a C, and I think he even, even spotted a D, D storyline in there. So there's yeah. lots going on. Two, I think two D storylines, I think. There's, there's a lot that's happening in this episode. More, I mean, just more, more through plots, more development. And I said at the end of last week's show that Pathogen reminded me of maybe Broca Divide or um, Hot Zone in, Hot in, zone, in right? Atlantis, and absolutely not. So I was very delighted. Well, before we get to that discussion, there's some sci-fi news going on in the last few days that I want to talk about for sure. I know you are a huge fan of Battlestar. I'm a, I'm a big fan, but probably not as big as you. Yeah. Of the original Battlestar. Yeah. I've only actually, I haven't, I haven't kept caught up on Caprica this season. I've seen the first few, but uh, I think I'm going to wait until season one is done and then watch them all in a run. But the big news this week is that Sci-Fi Channel has greenlit a pilot. This is going to be a, a two-hour movie event uh, that's a possible uh, series premiere for a third Battlestar Galactica television series. Mm-hmm. BSG Blood and Chrome. Yeah, this was just announced this week. They were originally going to be... It was originally a web series, right? And then they decided yeah. to upgrade it to the to the television series, which which continually seems to be happening with sci-fi. They, they, they take web series left and right and then turn them into television shows. So, I mean, it's, it seems to work. Just look at Sanctuary, and, and, and Reese is certainly taking a step up from... Uh, it's still going to be on the web, the web but uh, who knows for how long before it gets a TV series boost. But, yeah, are you, are you excited about this? I'm very excited about this. Caprica, the reason why I stopped watching after a couple episodes was because it didn't really grab me. And I'm sure, like any show, it just has to find its feet. And I know that we have characters that are introduced later in the show, like James Marster's character, uh, Barnabas, who I'm looking forward to, to seeing him. So, not to speak ill of Caprica, but Caprica was set up to be very much a drama, very much a planet-based uh, family drama that would hopefully be more accessible to people who don't necessarily watch the Sci-Fi Channel all that much, because mm. it... You know, obviously it has robots, but it doesn't really focus on spaceships and outer space travel like Battlestar did. It's it's an interesting way to go with the franchise and and props to that series. But this one sounds like it's more my uh, my speed, more up my alley. It's it's being described as more of of a of an adventure series, more of like a war based adventure series. I uh, will be the first to say that you know I. I I, I was so excited about Caprica. You know, I, I was looking for another mm-hmm. quantum leap kind of series. I think we, we where we've discussed before, where I mean, it's it's straight up drama with with some sci-fi elements in it, I, and mm-hmm. have been immensely immensely unimpressed with uh, the series development. The characters, by and large, in my opinion, on Caprica are not interesting. But I, I watched the first ten. I'm going to wait for the back ten to air, and then I'm going to watch them. I'm just I'm just not engaged with the show. They haven't taken risks like uh, like Battlestar did. It's it's very very wishy washy. Um, but Blood and Chrome. But let me, Blood let me and read Chrome. you the 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 premise here. Uh, here's how Sci-Fi Channel describes the series. Blood and Chrome takes place in the tenth year of the first Cylon War, 
As the battle between humans and their creation, a sentient robotic race, rages across the 12 colonial worlds, a brash rookie Viper pilot enters the fray. Ensign William Adama, barely in his 20s and a recent academy graduate, finds himself assigned to the newest Battlestar in the colonial fleet, the Galactica. Uh, that's a red The talented con. but hot-headed risk-taker. Go ahead. The talented but hot-headed risk-taker soon, fi- soon finds himself leading a dangerous top-secret mission that, if successful, will turn the tide of the decade-long war in favor of the desperate fleet. I thought Galactica so was the first Battlestar built. Was it? I was under that impression. Galactica, because Galactica represented Caprica, and Caprica is the... Uh, I have a buddy over right now. Uh, Galactica represented Caprica, and Caprica was the, um, the flag of the colonies. So, but yeah, in, I don't remember that bit e- of continuity. Either way. So it's another prequel series, uh, but yeah. it's, it's not set as far back as Caprica. Uh, it's, a, it's a young William Adama. So in the TV series, Adama's apparently a, a, a little kid in mm-hmm. Caprica. Mm-hmm. And now he's early 20s, mm-hmm. fresh out of the academy. I'm cautiously optimistic about it, but we know what happens. It's a, it's a, this is my problem with prequels. We know what happens. He's not going to yeah. get offed. This is, frankly, explored territory. And, and unless they can find a way to, to give us a story, a, a through line of the Cylon War that we know nothing about, filled with characters that we know nothing about. I mean, even, even in that case, you know, they're going to die eventually. The, I mean, the, the, the human race ultimately ends. So, you know, this as cool as those scenes in Razor were, I am dubious. What do you think? I'm cautiously optimistic, just like I was cautiously optimistic about Caprica. Prequels are tough, and I'm not sure why studios seem to still be so enthusiastic about them. I think as far as fans go, Star Wars kind of burned a lot of us and uh, turned us off sequels. And for some reason, both in television and film, studios still seem to be cranking them out. I'm not so much concerned about... You know, wondering if Bill Adama or Saul Tai is going to die in any given episode. You know, the envelope for the show, this, I don't know if you could go into the future of Battlestar like you could with Star Trek. You know, just jump into the 25th or 26th century because the end of the story has been told by Ron Moore. That's, you know, it's interesting that you raise that point. I don't know if I was There's kind of no place else to go. I, I completely disagree. That it's, it's interesting that you raise this point because... Um, I was talking with a buddy who who said, you know, we both agree that it would be interesting to, I think it would be really interesting to tell the story of um, of the uh, thirteen Cylons that left Earth and their trek, their two thousand year trek across the stars. I think that mm-hmm. would be an immensely interesting story. Which is also would also be a prequel, but which would also be a pre- prequel removed from from the twelve colonies. But story. I would be very very interested in a Battlestar Galactica series that takes place fifty or sixty years from us now that tells the story of this humanity and this fight against robots that at the end of Battlestar Galactica are clearly on their way to being built. I would be immensely interested in that story because that, mm. that would be the next, the, the next fall of humanity. The, the, I mean, even though, even though Angel Six says that, you know, law of averages, she thinks that, you know, it, it's not going to happen. She thinks that we'll survive. I think that that would be a new and interesting story to tell with fresh new faces, fresh new directions. Mm-hmm. The only similar thread is the, the cycle of man and technology. I think that would be far more interesting. Well, also in the news is Reese, which you mentioned a few minutes ago. A lot of people probably didn't notice this because Reese wasn't out for very long last year. came out in 2009 as a web series 
and they they aired or posted on the web. I'm not sure how many episodes they eventually got around to putting out. Three or four, maybe. I saw a couple of them. Yeah, I watched the and first then, one. And then the news came that, that they got got some good attention and apparently inked a deal with Sci-Fi Channel. And so they yanked the episodes off the web and didn't finish. Uh, and now they've apparently done some recutting. Uh, I don't know, maybe some reshooting. And so they're restarting the web series exclusively at Sci-Fi.com slash Reese, R-I-E-S-E, starting this week. Sounds so very similar to Sanctuary. Up, I think. Yeah. I think um, the first episode should be available. The, very similar to the, the direction that they took it with uh, with Sanctuary. Does Reese have sci-fi elements, though? It's like a futuristic steampunk techno okay. vibe. So it's like, it's like you know, simple towns and villages of, of a... Not really a post-apocalyptic world, but okay. it's, it's like a fantasy world with technological elements to it. Okay. So kind of Wild Wild West meets almost Legend of the Seeker? Because I got kind of a Legend yeah. of the Seeker vibe while watching it. I did, yeah. And I just rewatched uh, one of the older trailers. I actually added it to, to GateWorld's video player on the homepage if you want to go look for it. It's a couple minutes long. shows a lot of the characters and a lot of the neat visual elements of the show. The reason why I'm giving so much attention to this one is because there are a lot of Stargate people in Reese. It shot in yeah. Vancouver. Yeah. It has uh, Sharon Taylor from Atlantis. Amelia. It has Patrick Gilmore from SGU. It has Ben Cotton, who played Kavanaugh on Atlantis. It has uh, Alessandro Giuliani from Battlestar, who also did some Stargate guest spots. It has Allison Mack. Allison Mack. I was surprised to read that name. Yeah. And it has Ryan Robbins, our good friend. From uh, started as Laden Redeem on Atlantis and is now Henry on Sanctuary. Yeah, I'm looking forward then, to following this series. I'm definitely going to give it another chance. The other news is, is Sci-Fi also announced that Amanda Tapping is going to be narrating the thing, which is really cool. So yeah, I'm definitely going to be watching this. And there's another piece of news. There is. There's news galore. Man, I just want to talk about this episode. What's the other one? We turned 11, and we, we didn't talk about 11. it. I know. It snuck up on me. It did. I was so busy watching SGU and taking notes. <laughs> uh, yeah, last week, Gate World celebrated its 11th birthday. It did indeed. Good number, 11. We're going to reach the point here in a few years where Gate World is, itself is actually older than some of the people who visit it. It's older than your kids. <laughs> well, it's far older than my kids, yeah. There's also been some talk on GateWorld about the ratings, and uh, some listener mail uh, will be the, uh, the prod for uh, us to uh, discuss some of those questions. Some people, uh, some people called and uh, asked our opinions on it, so we will, we will address those issues after the main uh, discussion. Stay tuned, but first, let's talk about Pathogen. The main discussion. So Pathogen aired last week on Sci-Fi Channel, Episode 4 for Season 2 of Stargate Universe. This one was written by Carl Binder, and I saw a few people online compare it to Life, which was episode 9 last year that Carl wrote. Uh, that was the, the first sort of big, big trip home to Earth mm-hmm. using the communication stones. That was when we first met Sharon and saw the Camille-Sharon relationship, and Matt ended up going back to, to his ex-girlfriend and finding out that he had a son. And some people were asking, is Pathogen Life Part 2? What do you think about that? Is this Life Part 2? It certainly felt that way to me. It has, um, it has the speed. It has the pacing of life. I'm always more interested in what's going on the ship than what's going on at home. I find, as much as I love Ming-Na, I find the Sharon elements of the show very slow. I find it interesting. I just find it very slow. 
and I mean, it's very. I mean, we've we've talked about this. We've talked about this def- before. You know, the the juxtaposition of of uh, Stargates and um, then cutting into scenes with that are just flat out domestic has taken some getting used to. I am enjoying it. Uh, certainly, uh, it's just taking some getting used to. So, what do mm-hmm. you think? Obviously, a lot of similarities. We have Camille and Sharon again. This time, instead of Matt, we have Eli going home. Yeah. And he's visiting his mom because mom's having some, not just physical issues. Her physical issues are, are dealt with pretty rapidly. She's having some emotional issues with Eli being gone and not writing, not calling, and, and she doesn't know if she's ever going to see him again. Well, Camille uh, has the line, you know, with, with Sharon, this prolonged uh, separation is beginning to take its toll. And you can see on Sharon's face, it's becoming that way with her as well. Yeah, yeah with her just as much as with, with uh, Mrs. Wallace. And then you've got, you've got a ship-based story. Now, in life, if I'm remembering the episode right, our ship-based story was pretty much just TJ wandering around and talking to people, yeah. um, doing these these uh, interviews. How's life um, on Destiny? I, it sucks. Yeah. I hate it. <laughs> so we have a solid ship-based, actually a couple of ship-based storylines going on uh, with Simeon and the Lucian Alliance guys trying to fit in. And obviously the main storyline, I think the A story here, is Chloe and what's happening to her. Mm. So it feels like it, it feels fuller than life to me. It feels like there's more going on, more concrete plot uh, moving forward on Destiny. Yeah, well, the events and, on the ship are the A-plot. Absolutely. Yeah. And on Earth, the emotional through lines, I think, are a lot stronger than mm-hmm. they were in life. Obviously, life set us up with Sharon. Yeah, so they we were know Sharon better. characters. So the fact that Sharon is now really struggling with this. You know, a year ago, she was Camille's rock. She was just there to encourage her. Now Sharon is the one who's having problems with this. It's an interesting development, but I think that what makes this uh, so much stronger than that episode is Eli. Eli and his mom. Glennis Davies, who plays his mom, Fantastic actress. such a startlingly touching performance in this. And, and we'll talk about what happens to her character uh, in just a minute. Those two, Glennis Davies and David Blue, they sold just the show. Make, make the emotional through line of what's going on yeah. on Earth really sell. Yeah. yeah. That was my that was my favorite subplot, but first, I mean, it's it's called pathogen, and you know, some episodes like uh, like redemption, and you know, some some of those titles in the Stargate universe, they they speak to multiple layers of uh, plots. But pathogen is pretty clear the the Chloe story. So let's talk about Chloe. Pathogen I- implies that she's been infected with something, but we don't really know. Still, after this episode is over, we don't really know what's going on with her. Uh, there are a lot of signs that point to the fact that. Uh, the blue guys, the blue meanies, the blueberry smurf aliens have done something to her, yeah. even though they only had her in that, that water tank for, I don't know, what do you think, a few hours? Probably. The, the episode does clarify in, that uh, they are the culprits. If you listen to it, the, uh, plus comments that Brad Wright has made in interviews solidifies this. The, if, you, if you listen to uh, what they're talking about with the diary, Scott recognized some of the, uh, the script in... Uh, in Chloe's diary as being from the crashed ship from uh, last season. Mm-hmm. So right. there you go. They found that ship in Lost in season one. That's 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 right. And I I was beginning. You know, I'm I'm glad that they clarified this now because I was gonna I was beginning to run in a maze. I was beginning to run like a rat in a maze with this problem. It's like you know, it only started happening when she got hit by the Lucian Alliance bullet. So maybe it's the Lucian Alliance doing this to her. And then they solidify that. 
you know, she's her script, her, the the language that she is writing in, in in the diary is is very similar to that alien race. So that's cool. Yeah, and of course we notice when they boarded that ship, that crashed shuttle or whatever it is in Lost, we noticed that Chloe seemed to have some intuition that she ne- shouldn't necessarily have had when she was looking at the computer interface and sort of That's spotted true. and told Eli where to go in the computer system to find Destiny's path. So this has been happening to her for a while. Yeah, and it's just now beginning to really manifest itself, so probably months. So she's um, she's having blackouts, and it seems to be, uh, for the most part, like when she goes t- to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, she talks at first about lying down for a nap. And then waking up and there's Eli talking to her. Uh, she's standing at this computer console. One time she's accessing a computer console. And we, we can't see what the computer indicates, but there's like a big red box on the computer console, which indicates to me that maybe she was trying to access something and was getting like a big error message that she couldn't access it. And then the other time when Lieutenant James finds her in the storage area in the dark room it looks like she's trying to pick a lock to get into like a locked storage container so do you want to hear my theory yeah now, let's, as to what's going on let, let, let's let's put this right out here in the open what do, what do we think is uh, going on with this character well we've we've connected it to the the blue aliens and we know the blue aliens were trying to gain access to destiny but couldn't because of the shields they, they with their their weapons and their attempts to breach the hole i think it was only because we were you know, fighting them off and draining the ship's energy, that they were actually able to drill that that circle hole and abduct Chloe to begin with. Um, but for the most part, they're trying to get Destiny and they can't get in. So I suspect that they're using her as a Trojan horse. I agree. That whatever she's doing, she's, um, you know, manipulating the, the system. She's allowing the aliens to find them again and is going to let them in the front door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's pretty clear that... Uh... And I think Rush says it, you know, whatever is happening inside of her, whatever is, is taking her over has been studying the ship because he takes her into that uh, that mm. corridor of equations. And, uh, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like the missing elements on the periodic table. You know, the periodic table is so well designed that you can literally – you can see where there are missing elements that we have yet to discover. And on the corridors in um, mm. in the ship, you know, there are missing equations – Clearly, he, he has set it up so that, you know, this this equation goes here, but I don't know what it is yet. And she goes in there and writes it in. And, and what he said, like, under a minute flat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says these are problems related to problems that they've been facing on Destiny since the moment they stepped on the ship. So not sure exactly how much time has passed. We're probably coming up on about a year, I would say, by this point. Right. I mean, Wouldn't you say 10 months everything. to a year, maybe? So, um, yeah, Chloe gets a piece of chalk and solves it in a minute flat. I think I think that they realized that they couldn't um because they 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 clearly let them fly back. I suspect that they realized that they weren't going to get into the ship by any conventional means, so they had to sneak someone back aboard. And lit- and this this genetic problem or whatever is literally unspooling in her brain. Did you notice uh the scene, the Kino scene with uh with TJ and uh Colonel Young? Where they're watching Chloe and, and she sits up out of bed. Yeah, I saw the scene. Are you thinking of something specifically? I'm, I'm, I imagine, she, I'm, I think that she may be uploading to them and not even knowing it. That she might have some sort of a mental telepathic link? Yeah, yeah. Because we know that, I mean, we know that, that they, they've communicated like that in the past with those little doohickeys on their, on their foreheads. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like she's, she's trying to get out of that room. 
you know, before she was writing in her diary and this and that, she's sitting up and doing something. I, th I, think, she's, I think she's uploading data to them. That's an interesting theory. I like that. That diary is interesting, though, because it's not just the alien script that she's writing. It looks like the alien script interspersed with ancient, ancient characters. Yeah, which means that I mean, which which could potentially mean that that they're studying the database or something. Like like Rush says, he he doesn't mm. understand all of it. Some of it's well above his head. But yeah, Scott is uh, so exercising then... his concern over her. You know, he's worried. She both both he and Eli are are worried about her. She's become withdrawn. You know, something is is happening to her. But one of the things that kind of surprised me is she's not kind of flipping out that this is happening. She's kind of very casual about it, and you know, she's. She's she's appearing very tired and this and that. I would be flipping out. <laughs> like, get this damn thing out of me. <laughs> Whatever this is, stop yeah, it. She's worried. I would be so worried that I would hurt my friends. You know, whatever is happening to me cannot be good if it's coming from the 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 blue aliens. Yeah, she certainly hasn't done anything violent yet, but I think it's Not a yet. wise precaution of Colonel Young to uh, to lock her away. She seems pretty worried about it, but yeah, she's not flipping out. And I think the the closest that we get to, to seeing how she's handling it is when she says to Matt that she feels like she's slipping away, like mm -hmm. she's losing herself. Mm -hmm. So now Rush has a plan to quote-unquote help her. Yeah, he, he... So he sticks her in the uh, neural interface chair, and he says, he says, he claims, he has this theory that the neural interface chair won't uh, connect with non-humans, so mm -hmm. it has uh, uh, protective measures that are basically going to purge any alien element. Yeah, it eliminates anything foreign. As soon as it connects, which I think is just BS. <laughs> oh, it clearly was. <laughs> but it gave the, it gave Young the excuse to to let her go. He he made them think that she's been cured, which is only going to work until you know things start happening to her physically. If they start happening to her physically, anyway, you know, then yeah, it's going to be pretty going to have to keep a real close eye on her. Yeah. And Rush is going to have to keep a real close eye on her because, uh, you know, anytime she up and wanders off and is found, you know, doing something strange again. Now, she does, he does have the advantage of she's, she's uh, going to cover for, for this Rush thinks uh, because she doesn't want to get locked up again. Uh -huh. So Rush thinks that she's going to play along now with his agenda. Well, that right there was kind of surprising to me. I mean, I if I was really concerned about the people around me um, more than my own personal freedom, I don't know. I don't know how I'd react in that situation. But, I mean, if I really cared about those people, I probably would prefer confinement over, over uh, my own personal freedom and the risk of doing something really devastating that I could not live with. Well, she hasn't really done anything yet. She hasn't really posed danger yet. This is true. And it's clear that Rush is going to be... I, I mean, I think he recognizes that, that whatever is happening is the cause of the blue aliens, but he sees that they have more experience or information on destiny that he can tap. And so he's willing to keep the, the faucet turned on long enough to get the information that he needs mm -hmm. before she becomes a serious threat. And what he's doing is he's playing with fire. Something's going to happen. Yeah, it's a big gamble. You've got, I mean, you've got Sharon Boomer Valeri almost walking around who can, I mean, like a juggernaut turn on you at any moment and, and she doesn't, she doesn't remember anything. She doesn't know it. Maybe uh, we need to look around Chloe's quarters to see if there are a pair of Ithacan elephants sitting around somewhere. I vaguely remember what that reference is to. Coddle. The, uh, not Coddle. Um, uh, oh, the priest. 
um, Cavill when when he wanted to tr- when he wanted to turn her on, he um, he brought the he brought the elephants right. in, and <laughs> she she became turn aware of her true motives. Right. Yes. Yes. All right. Okay, well, before we move away from Chloe, if I had one quibble for this episode, my quibble would be, it seems like every time she's lying down, every time we get a shot of her in bed, she like looks like she doesn't have any clothes on. Have you noticed this phenomenon? Really? I thought she lied down like a couple of times It looks like she's like sleeping on. in the buff oh. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> What's and maybe wrong with that? she's got this shirt that's... That's like shoulderless. Well, nothing's wrong with it, but I mean, they've been on the ship for a year now, and I really feel like every time we have a shot of Matt and Chloe in bed, she looks like she's in the buff. Maybe these guys are trying to to tell us that Matt and Chloe, these two, are just doing it like rabbits you know, all the time. <laughs> well, I think. But that's maybe she just likes sleeping in the buff. Okay, are you ready to go to Earth? Let's we go have to two Earth. stories. So Eli and Mom. Yeah. Great story. You know, this is this is a, a woman that uh, we learned a lot about in an alternate reality that was uh, fortunately deleted in time. She was right. a nurse who got uh, pricked by a needle from a junkie and contracted HIV. So she is sick. And this, the, I mean, when I when I first heard that threat, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that uh, that Stargate is going in this direction. And, and I was very impressed. That is uh, some strong, strong storytelling. You know, you just, I mean, a lot of shows just don't go there. Yeah, it's its very touching. She's got this relationship with her son. We we learned in time that dad left yeah. after she got infected because he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle and it. Eli was 14 years old at the time. We hear um, Marianne is her first name. Yes. Uh, say say to Eli in this episode that Eli is all she has. It's she, he is the reason she gets up in the morning and she didn't realize it until after he was gone. She didn't really realize it until after he was gone, yeah. And yeah. I mean, and think of it from her perspective. He is, he is in a situation where he can't even transmit his voice to her. There, there is no way that he can do that. The only communication with Earth is through the, the, the consciousness of, of someone on that ship or someone on the, on, uh, at, at the Pentagon. There's, there's no way for him to send yeah. her a voice recording to say, hi, Mom, how you doing? She is completely ca- uh, cut off from him. And, you know, once she's had this attack, it's understandable that she's asking herself, why do I need to go on? For, clearly, from her perspective, the military has, has snatched away her son. Yeah, and Eli is forced at one point to confess that he doesn't know if she's ever going to see him again. Yeah. Because he's stuck on destiny, going the wrong way. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know if he's ever going to be able to get home, and he has to be honest with his mom. And that just, I think, leaves her in a state of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. So why should she continue to fight? Well, this is an honest guy, and you know he's not going to lie to her right there. And as soon as he says it, he knows that he's in trouble. Like, what, what am I going to do? He starts freaking out. You know, he gets, gets in touch with yeah, Camille. Yeah. And and Cam- and Camille does something absolutely great in this episode, which which really takes her up a few knots. You know, this is a person who, you know, would probably, if if given the chance, bring Sharon aboard uh, the ship because Sharon mm-hmm. says, you know, I miss seeing your face, I miss seeing your voice. She makes it very clear that those are uh, yeah. those are some of her problems. And instead, Camille says, you know, this this kid may be the most valuable member of this crew. He it is it is up. I mean, he has to be in the best frame of mind. He, he we have to keep him happy because we need him. Yeah. Bring his mother aboard. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sharon doesn't get to go. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so so mom gets to go. Uh, she she trades bodies with uh, Lisa Park for a little while, and I think one of the best moments in this episode is when she first shows up on the ship and sees Eli. Yeah, that was great. She stands up and embraces him. She just yeah, great, beautiful beat. stuff. And then he takes her out to the observation deck and gives her the whole spiel about you know this is real and we're out here and we're trying to get home. Yeah, if you didn't believe that you're looking at uh, another person through your own eyes and the the voice uh, that's coming out of uh, out of your chest is not yours, let me show you this really gorgeous ringed gas giant. <laughs> yeah, the storyline was a really nice follow-up to Earth, Episode 7 last season. Because yeah. That was when Eli first goes home to visit Mom using the communication stones. And as soon as he pulls up in front of her house, he says, you know, I, I, she's been cleared for him to tell her who he is and where he is, but he thinks she just can't handle it. And so he doesn't. So he sits in her kitchen and talks to her like he's a friend of Eli's. Mm -hmm. That completely pays off here because when he does try and tell her who he really is, she doesn't believe him. She can't handle it until she sees it with her own eyes or Mm -hmm. with uh, somebody else's eyes in this case. Yeah. He read her very correctly. I thought it was was an interesting choice for them to talk about E.T., and I was like, "Well, what, what are the? Hmm. Why are they? Why are they bringing up ET?" And I was thinking the the scene with with Elliot and, and ET and them and them being like psychically connected. ET's going through the the refrigerator, and Elliot is getting sick. <laughs> I thought that that mm-hmm. I thought that they were going to bring that up, and they don't. They're just talking about you know traveling to other worlds. But this would have been a great time to mention Quantum Leap. That would have been perfect, and they didn't do it. They didn't go with that because that that would have been the ultimate excuse. You remember that that good old show with Scott Bakula and them trading <laughs> trading minds, being in somebody you know? else's body. Exactly, yeah. that would have been perfect. Um, and they chose not yeah. to go with that. I wonder if it was a clearance thing, or you know, if they just if maybe, um, frankly, Quantum Leap was a little too close to home from what they were trying to do. They didn't want to. They didn't want to raise those flags. So elsewhere on Earth, Camille gets to go home and visit Sharon. It's still got a great relationship, a strong relationship. But now, instead of Camille kind of freaking out at being apart, now Sharon is the one who is clearly having difficulties. It is clearly hitting the bottle. She's drinking. She uh, leaves her keys in the door. You know, this is, well, I mean, which, which would happen to, I mean, if you were excited or stressed about anyone coming home that uh, you haven't seen in ages, I would do things like that as well. It's pretty clear that Camille says that this is not like her. She does not do this. It's it's impacting her uh, in in many different ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's what that whole thread is about. This prolonged separation is is really taking its toll on a lot of people, and it's only going to continue to get worse. What I really appreciated about this episode, with the Camille and Sharon story especially, also with Eli and his mom, is that all through season one, I think one of my complaints was. With these communication stones, it's like the characters are treating it like it's no big deal. You know, Camille goes home and visits her her partner. I think they've supposedly been together for, what, like 12 years? Uh, Did they say? You know, they have like a, a little... I'm not sure if that's canon or not. But, you know, they have the they have a lot of sort of intimate little moments. Uh, you know, cooking dinner together and some kissing and snuggling on the couch. I just... if We talked about this last year. If If this was me and it was my spouse coming back to visit... I would have a really hard time having any sort of physical intimacy, even if I was absolutely convinced that it was their consciousness in somebody else's body. Oh, if you were uh, if you were the one waiting really... at home and someone came to you, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, if I was the one waiting at home. Or, you know, if I was the one who was going to visit in somebody else's body, I'm not sure I would I would be crazy about about my spouse being with me in somebody else's body. 
but I think Pathogen is really the first episode that really stops to think about that and, and takes it seriously and, and acknowledges the fact that for these people, this is an issue. Uh, for Sharon, the fact that she's not seeing Camille's face and hearing her voice, this is an issue. The fact that Eli can't convince his mom that it's really him. Uh, and, and when he tries to do shows, so she freaks out and wants him to leave. Mm. I think it's great that the show has, has I think, uh, acknowledged that those issues are very important issues and has dealt with them. Or at uh, least acknowledged. A little bit, yeah. I mean, the I, I thought, uh, the same as you, that uh, it would be very interesting to deal with those kinds of, of uh, intimacy issues, you know, where, okay, mm. so I'm I'm supposed to be having sex with this person who's just walked into my home and and clearly i mean they they know everything about my spouse their 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 cadence their communication their voice their you know everything is is them but this is not physically the same person let's set aside all the, the medical reasons i mean i i don't know who is this person you know what what kind of sex life have they led you know i do i want to get close to this person i really wish that um and, and season 1 would have been the time to address that but they clearly didn't we also have a, a D storyline. There's four storylines going on here. Uh, this is the Lucian Alliance, and Varro is trying to keep Simeon in line. They've been really, really unclear as to uh, his motivations. You know what uh, he's really capable of. He's kind of the um, he's kind of the Simeon is kind of the Spencer of season two. You know what what the heck is going to happen with this guy? You know he has some odd tattoos on his neck, which I didn't even notice until like about a week and a half ago. Uh, really cool, and the, we're just now. I think this episode is finally beginning to explore that character a little bit. Varro says that you know, from on yeah. his planet, the culture that he lived at was 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 a very unkind one. This guy grew up and has lived a hard life, which is no excuse, but it's just. I mean, that's that's the case with him, as with many of the Lucians. I've I, I was was uh, talking with my buddy Jared. I was saying, uh, what is it that he said to Lisa? I mean, what kind of what kind of <laughs> remark that he made was it that he made to her that made all of the guys stand up and say, apologize. Uh-huh. Did you come up with anything? Oh, it had to have been something sexual and, and, and inappropriate. It had to have been. So he gets out of jail, basically, walks into the cantina. And boom! First girl he sees in about 1.5 seconds, boom, makes some sexually aggressive remark, probably, and gets himself in trouble. Yeah. He was probably looking to get in trouble. And then he goes... He's sent back into confinement, and not like five minutes later, in terms of the show's pacing, Colonel Young comes in and he's saying, "I'm really trying to make this work. I'm really trying." I'm like, no, you're not. You just made an a, probably an explicit comment at a young woman, and I'm supposed to accept. Mm -hmm. in or front Colonel of Young is supposed to accept that that you're trying to make this work. No, you're not. You you were an ass. If you've read Joe Malazzi's blog, you know what the comment was. Oh, what was it? It apparently was not scripted, so on the day, uh, Robert Nepper leaned in to uh, Jennifer Spence and said, try the carrots. <laughs> and then Volker flips out. I, that kind of made me wonder if maybe Volker has a crush on, on Dr. Park there, because yeah, he was really... Kind of so uh, we learn, uh, when Varro goes in to talk to Simeon after he's been reincarcerated, yeah. we learn that... Simeon has been feeding Earth misinformation about the Lucian Alliance. He's been lying just like everybody. Wait, no, not everybody else has. Varl yeah. says, actually, he and everybody else have been telling the truth and have legitimately been trying to fit in on Destiny. That, that is probably the most interesting scene of this, of this episode. You know, it sounds like 
what I gathered from it was it sounded like Varro is cooperating with them, but and he's not feeding them misinformation. But also, I gathered that he's not telling them everything at the same time. They're clearly there for for a reason, and I don't think that uh, I don't think they're sharing that he's sharing with them specifically what that reason is. Now the scientist yeah. is is talking a little bit about it. We, in the previous episode, you know, she's she's talking with Camille and saying, in you know what we always thought the destiny was, but she's not saying why they're there. And it's I, I think it's pretty obvious at this point that they have the greatest grasp on Destiny's true mission over anyone. Yeah, I do suspect that Varro and the others are probably trying to play nice and fit in because there's some greater mission for Destiny that they know of and they want to be around for it, not just because they lost the fight. Yeah, exactly. There's they they may have a good understanding of what's going on, or they may know absolutely what is happening with this ship. I'm really looking forward to seeing how how that develops. Yeah, and Simeon says something to the effect of of he's not going to betray the Lucian Alliance. He refuses to betray the Lucian Alliance, and I really think that this is the beginning of a of a rift between Simeon and the rest of his people. I think he's uh, he's probably going to be forced to play along for a while, but he's going to be looking for his opportunity, and and he may now consider Varro and the others enemies of the Lucian Alliance as traitors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, the Alliance would have sent them on this mission and said, hey, have a good time, if they weren't <laughs> intending on getting something back, if they mm. weren't intending on getting something in return for uh, for sending uh, this warlord and, and a huge squadron of, of, uh, of troops and, and scientists and the resources of that Egyptian planet, you know, the study that was going on there, there's something going on with them. And what, I mean, we have to keep that in the back of our heads. Whatever is going on with destiny, the Lucian Alliance is going to expect um, a return on, on what they have banked, which is, which is uh, mm-hmm. troops and, and personnel and resources. And you want to talk about any of these little Greer moments with Simeon? Greer is they have a lot a of uh, face-to-face butting of heads. They do. This guy, I mean, Greer is continuing to be a loose cannon. He's still staying interesting, though. But, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty clear, you know, that he just wants to pick a fight. He wants to pick a fight with anyone and everyone. But the Lucian Alliance, you know, because, uh, they, I mean, they're, they're here now, and I think he feels that he has grounds to, to harass them. They're the lowest dangling fruit, as far as he's concerned, you know, because <laughs> they've, they've, they've fought them. He's going to make their life a living hell. I don't know why he's he's picking on Simeon specifically. I don't I don't remember any particular exchange from last from last season that uh, that Simeon did against Greer that has Greer specifically going after him now. But he's not letting it go, and the Marines are certainly uh, are certainly backing him. I, yeah. I assume it- that uh, that the corridor that was off limits was the corridor leading to the the chair room. But I mean, Greer may have just been screwing with him. Yeah, these two are definitely the most intense characters on the ship right now. Uh, so it's great to see them stare each other down. Of course, you want to see Simeon step out of line and actually, you know, bop him. Oh, it something. could devolve into a bloodbath very quickly <laughs> between these two. Yeah, but I think Greer basically. I mean, he's kind of chief of security on board the ship. He's watching these guys, and and for some reason, he's got his eye on Simeon. And now Simeon's clearly given him a reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Greer, Greer, regardless of whether or not, I mean, he's putting his own personal 
desires to to bust some heads first. It's it's pretty clear from the the scenes behind closed doors that he may ultimately ju- be justified. Mm. Do you think they're setting up some sort of an ongoing relationship between Greer and Dr. Park? We had that earlier mention in Awakening last week where Greer tells Scott that that he and and Park had been intimate. And now we have when he comes comes to the rescue and, and slams Simeon into the wall after he makes his lewd comment about carrots. We get this this exchange between between uh, Greer and Doctor Park. Mm. He, it's funny though, uh, in in Greer fashion, he doesn't ask her if she's all right after the incident is over. He turns and says, "You're all right." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's the, like the, the going back to the great line from the pilot from the first episode of the season. Everyone's fine. Everything's fine. So. <laughs> You're all right. So I kind of wonder if he's not – he loves going after Simeon, clearly, and he loves having an excuse to, to mm-hmm. pin him up against the wall. But I wonder if, if also a little bit of what's going on in the background as he's, uh, he's coming to Park's rescue. It could be, you know. I mean, uh, it's been established early on that uh, Park has slept around on this ship, but uh, there, there may be mm-hmm. something developing between the two of them. So Pathogen, I enjoyed this one a lot more the second time I watched it because the first time – you know, not being a big fan of Earth-based episodes for any of Stargate's shows, series, and not being a big fan of Communication Stone stories. The second time I watched this, I think all of those concerns sort of melted away, and I really appreciated the emotional beats that were going on on Earth with Eli's story and, and Camille's story. And there's a lot more plot being driven forward on Destiny, especially with Chloe. And it's interesting that that's not resolved. There's no neat little bow that's tied on to the end of Chloe's story. You know, when she goes into the chair, I kind of expect that, you know, she's going to flip out and, and try and take control of the ship, and they're going to have to have some standoff and then some sort of resolution. But instead, it's, it's you know, the, the chair scene is anticlimactic, and we find that she's not cured, and now Russia's going to use her. Yeah. Uh, so it just, you know, points forward. It's the excuse scene, most definitely, to keep her out of jail. I find that with with SGU, re-watching re, re the episode a second time, I mean, often the first time I'm watching it with buddies, so I'm distracted anyway, but there's there's so much information in SGU mm-hmm. uh, in these episodes that, that re-watching it again uh, the second or third time is always more rewarding than, than the original, than the original uh, uh, viewing. I, when I originally watch, you know, I'm not necessarily paying complete attention to all the little details. I mean, if, if, I, if I miss something on the screen, you know, I'm not going to back up and turn on closed captions to, to pick it up again. I'll, I'll watch it again, right. and, and I'll find out. I mean, that's, that's how I view it. And I have to give props to the great musical movement near the end, or at the end of the episode, rather. That was a great piece, just, uh, just instrumental. I, I assume that Joel composed that. I don't, I don't think they, they pulled that off a shelf. Uh, no, they, that it was, was actually really another composer. Nice. It was actually another composer. Oh, it was? It was, um, instead of doing a montage with a vocal song, they used a piano composition. And uh, the title of it, man, I'm going to mispronounce every single word in this. I apologize. It's Ascolata by Ludovico Einaudi. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But you can find that listed on the episode page for Pathogen. I'm going to go and download that right after this. I'm going to go to iTunes and check that out. It was beautiful music. Great, great selection. So, sorry, Joel, but I mean, still, it's good good insertion there. Having a a, a musical number at the end of every episode in in generally the same place, I mean, they've they've moved it around a little bit, but I I Mm -hmm. love the montages, but... 
it kind of gets it kind of gets cliche after a while. I mean, it kind of feels. Yeah. What's what's this week's song going to be? Exactly. What's yeah. what's this week's song? It's nice to not have it in every single one. Yeah. Right. Listener mail. Well, David, this week we have some more listener mail. Well, Darren, let's listen in. Hi there, Gateworld. This is Alex from Norway. I'm a huge Stargate fan and I've been an avid listener to Gateworld podcast since early June. Throughout Stargate Universe, we've had a lot of music montages at the end and those seem to appear more and more often. I know a lot of Stargate fans through Twitter and they and myself find the montages cheesy and think they gotta go. So I was wondering about your opinion and if you could help forward the fans' opinion to the producers. Are the music montages cheesy or do you like them? That's that's interesting. We just we just finished talking about this. I I like them, but sometimes I mean it 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 feels like you know there there are there are some shows out there that are very formulaic. Power Rangers was very formulaic. You know, the, the, <laughs> Please the, the tell bad, me you're not about to compare SGU to the, Power the Rangers. The bad guy grows and, you know, Megazord comes out and it all, he always swings his sword and the bad guy dies. You know, Inspector Gadget. Inspector Gadget was very formulaic. Every episode was the same. Um, and with SGU, the, I think this is its weakest point in terms of, of formula. You know, where they, they kind of lean towards, uh, and like I said before, I'll say it again, the, mo- the montages are great, but, you know, they, they lean towards a... A song at the end that that's current. You don't you don't ever hear him using oldies, the, a relatively current song, and it it kind of gets old. But I mean, I I like it from the standpoint that it's exposing me often to to new songs that I mm-hmm. like and have never heard before. Uh, what do you think? There are some of those tunes that they pick that I've never heard before that I will find myself humming literally months after the episode has aired. I know a lot of people didn't care for the the worst day since yesterday that they used for life. Oh, I like that. Uh, I was humming that earlier today. Yeah. It's just a catchy little fun little song. Um, I like the montages individually. I think there there haven't been any of them that I really didn't like. Uh, but yeah, it's sort of the accumulation effect of, of the feeling of a formula. So if they did 10 of them in a row, I would probably start to sigh. But, uh, but no, I like them. Yeah, I like the montages because they're informative. They are, like so many of the deleted scenes from, from Atlantis, these, these scenes are generally purely emotional. They're not necessarily uh, plot, they're not necessarily driving the plot forward and, and giving information in them, but you're seeing the reactions of various people after the dilemma has finished or you know, just mm-hmm. ongoing life on the destiny, and that's very, very interesting in my opinion. And that they always seem to manage to find a song that I've never heard before. Never, never once have uh, have have they played something in in this epi- in any of these episodes that I have uh, of a song that I have heard before. Which I, I guess, says that uh, I'm not all that cultured. <laughs> 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 or they're just picking really odd songs that happen to be from really great artists. Hi guys, it's Chris from Fort Lauderdale. Got a couple general questions. Um... First one, I, you talked about ratings before, but now that the ratings are starting to come out big time, I was uh, wondering you guys' opinion. Um, the ratings have not been, the live ratings have not been good, but uh, all the DVR ratings are starting to come out, and it's phenomenal. They're like 78% better than what they were with live. So with the live ratings, I'm scared that this might be the last season of Universe. But with the uh, DVR ratings, I was wondering if uh, Sci-Fi would have second thoughts about canceling it. 
That was uh, one of my questions. The other one is it's kind of a two-part question. Uh, you've talked about it before, but after all, the last season and the first four uh, episodes of this year, does Destiny have auto repair systems? I'm really believing that it does. And my question would be, is there going to be at any point in time, will we see the ship fully power up and repair itself so we can have a fully function Destiny and see what everything that it can do? And uh, that was my other question. Um, I do have a question about last week's episode, um, Infected, I think. I'm probably getting that wrong. Um, at the very end, we find out that uh, Chloe wasn't fully cured. Um and Rush is using her for something, I think he's going to use her for his first bridge crew member. And I just am wondering uh, what you guys think about that. All right, well, uh, I've been uh, listening to your show since uh, pretty much two episodes since you started. Loving it. You guys are a very interesting conversation to listen to. And uh, talk to you later. Bye. Okay, Chris has three questions, and we do want to talk a little bit about Stargate's ratings. So let's save that one for last. First, does Destiny have auto repair systems? What do you think? Is are we going to get to the point where we see Destiny in its full glory again? I sure hope so. Um, we saw the little robot. That's the only thing that I th- that I can think of the 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 robot. Yeah, uh, which I hope is still out repairing other sections of the hull. Mm-hmm. Uh, so auto repair, I really don't think so. I mean, if you look at the hull, it's just patched up. It's it's the the shields are are protecting all sorts of all sorts of areas from from exposure. I mean, as mm-hmm. as is uh, as is really driven home in the, in the last episode where the guy gets burned to a crisp. I don't know necessarily about auto repair like the ship just does stuff by itself, but it does have it, it gives us capabilities to make repairs like this robot. There's probably other sorts of systems out there, but we have to actually find them and turn them on and send them out to do the work. So no, I don't think that we're ever going to see Destiny as it looked you know, sparkling a a million years ago. Pathogen, this week's episode, Chris wants to know what you think of the idea that maybe Rush wants to use Chloe as his first bridge crew member. I hope Is she going to be on the bridge pretty soon, manning one of the consoles, saying, Captain, the Klingons are locking on torpedoes? (laughs) Ray shields. I, I hope that the, I hope that it happens. He seems to have something over her, and now in terms of they have a secret together, and if her secret gets out, then then Young's going to lock her up again. So I think he's probably going to risk bringing her onto the bridge. Their relationship is one of the most interesting in the show. I'm I'm pleased that it's continuing to evolve. Okay, so ratings. Yeah, uh, Chris is asking about about the live ratings versus the DVR ratings, and we got the first DVR ratings. For the season, uh, this last week, we, we found out, again from Joe Malazzi, that the show got something like a 78% bump from the live 9 p.m. numbers. Now, that's not the number that we report on GateWorld. Uh, what Nielsen reports that we pass along, I think, is the live plus same day, which means you DVR'd it, but you watched it before 3 a.m. that night. Well, uh, So that bump is, is 40%, which is still darn good. Let me ask you this, and this is something that I don't know. Does it matter if there's a 78% bump Is that from the DVR? Is DVR going to factor into the show being renewed, or isn't it? Because if it isn't, then I don't care. It makes no difference. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a zero factor. I think it factors in a teeny tiny amount. Because really, sci-fi, a lot of people, when we have these ratings discussions, the factor that they're looking for is... How popular is the show? How many people are watching the show? 
for sci-fi, it's how profitable is the show versus what the dollar amount that they spend on it, how much can they sell ads for. And ad sales are based on numbers that we haven't even talked about yet. Numbers, they're like uh, C3 numbers is what Nielsen calls them. So it's like people who have watched the show and the commercials or the commercials in the show within like three days of the original airing. So it's like halfway between the same-day ratings and the seven-day ratings. So it's not about how many people are watching the show on DVR and if we get a 40% boost. Uh, that's encouraging in the, in the fact that it says that you know, not as many people have just stopped watching the show altogether. Right. And, you know, as far as fans go and as far as the producers go, it's important to know how big your potential audience yeah. is. But Sci-Fi's renewal decision is going to be based on how much money it can charge advertisers. For the, this is the first time that, uh, that a, a Universe episode has, uh, a Stargate episode ever, yeah. has fallen below the one million mark. Yeah, can't for say that I was live, completely blown away to see this day. coming. I, I was I was very disappointed though. Yeah, we we started with a couple of weeks of no, we started with one week I think drop off the season premiere, and then episode three actually rebounded. Yeah, it did. And episode three rated higher than the season premiere did. Yeah. So I was hoping that we were either stabilizing around 1.2 million viewers uh, for Friday night, or we were maybe on our way back up, and people were going to find the show on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Instead, it came back down, and it's it's below one million for the first time. I don't know. You can you can bring in all sorts of factors. You can factor in that it's it's baseball postseason, and almost ten million people were watching baseball. But yeah, it's Tuesday, and I'm sorry, Tuesdays are tough. Yeah, I wonder if the show would do better on Wednesday or even Thursdays. I'm pleased that they did it. I'm pleased that they gave it a shot. Um, yeah, yeah. It isn't working, and. Mm. Uh, for the back 10, I hope they move it. If they moved it now, I would think that, that they were maybe a little more desperate than they want to reveal themselves to be if they are. Well, as far as the ratings go, if I'm a, unless I'm a Nielsen family, it doesn't matter. Or am I wrong? Um, unless you're a Nielsen family, it doesn't matter. Nielsen, Nielsen no families are, are the ones who get counted. But you can't think about that too much, you know? It, it's, it's all about statistical analysis, and Nielsen households are supposed to be a representative, a representative sample. So, I mean, I, I really don't like it when people say, well, I don't have a Nielsen box, so it doesn't matter. My feeling on this is like my feeling about, about voting, about voting for president or, yeah. or for any, any political election. You know, people say, I'm just one, you know, you know, my vote doesn't really count all that much. No race is lost, won or lost by one vote. It, that's fine. You're right. But, but that's not the same, Darren. If everybody every said counts, that. But they can't track... They cannot track me on, on my television as to whether or not I viewed that episode when it aired or not. But they can track whether or not I voted. I know. I'm not saying they're identical. I'm okay. saying this is an analogical comparison. It oh. feels the same to me as, as people who say, yeah. you know, my, my TV watching doesn't count. If everybody who watches Stargate thought to themselves, well, my viewing doesn't really count, Nielsen Box or not. You know, it's, it's the aggregate of all 1.6 million of us. Well, thanks, Chris, for those great questions, and thanks to everybody for your voicemails this week. We're going to be watching Cloverdale this Tuesday on Sci-Fi Channel in the U.S. It's going to air on Friday in Canada on Space and on Sci-Fi Channel in Australia, and then next Tuesday on Sky One in the U.K. Cloverdale is Episode 5. This is going to be a Matthew Scott story. Mm. So this week's listener question, of course, watch Cloverdale and then call into the hotline. And tell us what you think about this one. 
And what's that number? The number is 951-262-1647. Long distance rates do apply. So if you have Skype, you can call in for like the equivalent of two cents a minute uh, and leave a voicemail with us day or night. It's an automated system, so you won't wake anyone up. And that'll be our November 1st show, Cloverdale. Episode 6 is Trial and Error. I've heard good things about this one. I think that this is going to advance the uh, the overall story arc pretty significantly. Oh, good. Uh, we'll talk about Trial and Error on November 8th. And then on November 15th, the episode title is The Greater Good. Thank you so much for tuning in. We, uh, we're, we're, what is it, 105 now? Holy cow, thank you for, for yeah. listening to us yammer on senselessly, especially I mean, me. I'm sent. What the hell am I talking about, you know? And thanks for visiting GateWorld for 11 years. I know that if you're listening to this, you have been visiting GateWorld for 11 years. I've been visiting GateWorld for 11 years. But um, thanks, everybody, for making that happen and for making this show happen. Yeah. So if you want to drop in and say hello in addition to calling the hotline, you know, you can always leave us a message about anything Stargate-related or, or even science fiction-related if you have any questions for us or just want to share your opinions. Uh, you can also pop into the podcast feedback thread at GateWorld Forum and just say, hello, I'm listening to you. Uh, we always appreciate hearing, especially from new folks we haven't met yet. And uh, I'll be posting the show notes for this episode, number 105, Pathogen, at gateworld.net. If you want to find out any information about what we've talked about, past episodes, other characters, etc. that have been referenced, all that's going to be linked from the show notes from GateWorld. This is Darren. And this is not Darren. And come back next week for more of the Gate World Podcast.